star shit nowadays. All right, we're live. What's up? What's up? Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here in the, the man cave with Nathaniel Wallace. I'm waiting for this uh, <laughs> Rockfin stream to let me go live, to let me say it's live. I feel like every time I watch one of the streams on Rockfin, they're always like, I'm waiting to go live on Rockfin, you know, as they're going on. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> it, it, they really need. Oh, here we go. Uh oh, right, Bam, there we are. All right. Yeah, I'm here with my friend Nathaniel Wallace. Nathaniel is the host of Red Spin Sports, which, you know, if you're into sports, you're into left politics that's the go-to place and uh he's how long you've been doing the show for over a year now uh it's the first one we did uh formerly was in june 2020 kind of right after the the george floyd stuff and uh and that was sort of the beginning of it and um you know been doing a weekly radio appearance on a radio sputnik with by any means necessary uh since then every week and it's uh, the soviet radio right yeah soviet radio of course you know we got to keep the you know solid russian propaganda action going all the time so I uh, got that weekly and then, uh, you know, we're doing some combinations, some interviews and uh, we're going to get the live streams going back again next week and then uh, have some recorded to do at least one or two of those a, a month and then uh, have some recorded shows coming out this fall. So looking forward to what we got in store. Right on. Well, um, Nathaniel is a an activist, a former Division One college athlete. We're going to talk about the NCAA. Uh, and, you know, he really saw the underbelly of what one of America's largest and most devious corporations is. And he is a public school teacher in Jersey City. He's really seeing the, the frightening reality of the pandemic as, you know, school returns and, you know, kind of mass surveillance, uh, attacks on union organizing, really an attack on edu in-person education itself. So we're going to talk about that. But we just went to this uh, ridiculous rally today, I mean, which says actually a lot about the, the post-January 6th era. And it was a rally for, you know, called Justice for J6, Justice for the, the you know, January 6th uh, detainees. Yeah. Honestly, I haven't researched, I haven't done a lot of research on the detainees, but some of them have, I mean, apparently been abused pretty badly. Some, I read about one guy getting his eye socket broken in DC jail. Some have been harshly, uh, have, have been detained just for kind of roaming around in the Capitol. And then others were like, you know, doing stuff that if it, if it was a BLM rally, they might've been, you know, sh uh, drone bombed to death. I mean, I'm being sort of facetious, yeah. but, but, but it's unclear, but in any case we show up at this rally, there was four times more media than demonstrate. Rally is probably not even fair. Honestly, this was just people like hanging out in a park, you know, like, and this was like portrayed on MSNBC mainstream media as if like, Oh my gosh, another attack on our seat of democracy here. You know, that whole term in general, I'm just if I hear someone else make that comparison, this is the seat of our democracy. It's just the seat of a plutocracy that's like violently attacking the entire world and keeping them, you know, under the just the stranglehold of sanctions. So that's that's the narrative we get, though. So then you go out there and then go ahead and describe the reality, I guess, for them. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, the FBI was a huge factor in the fact that nobody showed up. And I heard that a lot of far right groups were telling their constituents not to show up but uh i just tweeted a thread so i'll throw some video up for everyone but uh nate what you know what did what did you see what was your general vibe i'm gonna pass this to you while i pull up some video right, yeah go for it yeah you 
we just literally just had people out there um, just mingling around, kind of looking for people to listen to them. It was sort of a sad scene. They were like, you could tell that some people kind of like didn't necessarily maybe know your name all the time, or maybe people did, but they would see someone the face they would recognize. And they're like, they want to just go talk to them. You had people saying the typical stuff like, we just stopped paying our taxes. We just stopped paying. We'll bring it all down. Uh, okay. And uh, I think one of the ladies that was saying that was actually someone I remember seeing at the Capitol on Gen 6 um, who was saying stuff like that. And you had that guy, I don't know if you know his name, who was talking when we first got there, who was going in. What's his name? Jake. He was talking about getting out of prison. A guy he claims, uh, you know, wasn't violent, that saved his life on Gen 6. Um, and yeah, he, yeah. yeah. Just watch this first, but because uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that guy in a second. But here's a some of the the amazing scenes we saw today. I mean, it was just an absolute freak show. I mean, most of the. It was mostly college kids there trolling people, and I don't even know who these people were. But it looks like it, it felt like some liberal group had just hired them to just make it look like an even bigger freak show than it was. Is this the video clip where the dildo comes out of her uh, bikini bottom here? Or is that okay? All right, cool, cool. Yeah. That's why he doesn't have a girlfriend, right? Here comes the national anthem. What language is she speaking? I mean, I mean, like this right here. Like. That's what I mean. I'm not trying to be demeaning. I mean, I just. All right. Well, then, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, wow. I, I, I didn't even. I mean, there was no politics to that, and it was very hard to find people talking about anything substantial. Here's one person we found. His name is Philip Anderson, and I put up a clip of him talking about his friend Jake Lane, who. Um, I'll, I'll talk about him in a second, but he's one of the rioters or detainees who's in prison. He said he's being harshly abused. So here's what he had to say. I do. I do agree. I'm not a big fan of BLM. I'm not a big fan of what they've done, but uh, I wouldn't even focus on that. I just focus on the fact that they have free reign to kill people and there's no, no accountability, no justice. And the people who prevented them from literally killing more people, including me, are now in jail. Okay, They're in prison. Like Jake Lane, the guy who saved my life. So he's in prison. He's getting abused. He's getting beaten, maced in the face. Um, he's not allowed to take showers. He's not allowed to cut his hair. He's not, like, he wouldn't even give him. They started rationing his food. They started yeah, they started rationing his food, right? So what he got for dinner last night was a boiled egg, a cracker, and mayonnaise. That's against their own rules, okay? But they do it. And they get away with it because they want him to kill himself. This has to stop. Because if you think for a second... They won't do the same things that Democrats is inconvenience them. They will. This is a freedom for all of us. We can't let people be in a prison where they're abusing us, beating us, macing us, rationing our food, where they can bully us to the point that we kill ourselves, off ourselves. We can't let that happen. This is America. It's un-American what they're doing. These prison guards need to be held accountable. So, I mean, there is something going on there. And I, I, uh, 
I haven't really done a, a lot of research. I, I'm going to put up some some info on Jake Lane in a second. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this isn't really getting reported, but what I do know is that a lot of these guys were extradited, kind of, or taken from other states. Uh, some of them were just running up in the capital. Some of them were actually involved in violent activities. Yeah. Uh, of I, we were there at January 6th. We saw what happened. I mean, what was your impression of January 6th, first of all? And we were there not as participants, right. but just to observe the freak show because it's 10 minutes from my house. Absolutely. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a collection of people. I mean, the only people I kind of had any sympathy for were some of the younger people you could tell that were really under, you know, uh, under the wing of some of these just insane people. Also, some of the other ones that really struck me were people that were Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. You could clearly see how we're just struggling with PTSD. They really had the walkie talkies. They thought they were out on a tactical mission. They were, uh, and, and they were going around. They, they seriously, they, they were craving that thrill of being part of an operational tactical mission again. And that's what Jan 6 really provided them. And uh, but for the establishment in this country, and it was like a fascist type of assault. I mean, assault the way I'm sorry. I mean, I don't like to use the language of liberal. Maybe there's the, the people there that were doing a lot of stuff are, are insane. I don't want to like romanticize them, but at the same time, this like whole thing was being was absolutely used and was tailor made to usher in a whole new era of uh, restrictions and also upholding Capitol Police, more of the Russia gate type hysteria on steroids, taking it to a new level of being able to um, have us lionize and uphold these government officials of a government that uh, you know, goes around the world. And again, has the world living under the, the boot of sanctions. Anybody that's not compliant has to pay the price of, you know, look at Cuba, for instance, right? I mean, they have even if whatever you think of vaccines, right? Isn't there an issue? They don't even have syringes. I mean, it's like because of the blockade. I mean, it's like whatever you have just issue after issue after issue where um, this government that is uh, being held up by the press as being under attack and in, in, in the seat of a democracy and the you know, beacon of freedom in the world is, is doing the exact opposite. But the characters in general, you had all sorts of you know loners weirdos but you also had some people that were in the leadership there that really should deserve more of the scrutiny that are not weak people that were not i mean they're not like poor they're business owners or people that are flying in staying in hotels and i think a lot of them deserve a lot of the credit sorry a lot of the, the scrutiny and criticism for what happened in bringing in a bunch of these people that were craving meaning in their lives lacking meaning in their lives and uh and, and kind of like served them up and then when it came to it, you know, down to it, they backed away, um, you know, kind of retreated and they're not well, there to stand in solidarity with the people that are there suffering. Well, it was, it, it was Trump ultimately, yeah, who, absolutely. a billionaire who brought yeah. us a self-proclaimed billionaire. I mean, this is who brought them all in and led them there and then right. just disappeared and just kind of laughed at the whole, this is uh, Jake Lane. You know, he basically turned himself in uh, on video and uh, said over his, uh, during a court appearance that he had to take because of the pandemic on zoom. Basically, he said, I was the leader of Liberty today. Arrest me. You're on the long side, wrong side of history. And he claimed to have uh, saved people from being suffocated and trampled and, and shot by Capitol police. Wait, does he think the Capitol is the white house? Is that the white house? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> there's some confusion there about where he was. Yeah. It's interesting. It reminds me like, I'm not going to name names, but there was a teammate, uh, in college I had in, uh, so this is him and he was inside the, that this area. I actually, we were there 
Yeah, he was talking. The guy today was talking about that, about being in that tunnel. He was making the distinction about being inside versus being out there. And he made the point again how his life, he credits his life and being here today to this guy, Jake Lang. Evidently, some I don't know, I don't know specifically what he's saying that Jake Lang did, but he's claiming that he saved his life and the lives of like what five other people. Yeah, yeah, and that there was some shooting of a woman that wasn't Ashley Babbitt. Right, I don't actually know the story, yeah. but we were here at this tunnel uh, just trying to figure out what was going on. And basically the police had barricaded themselves in and were, it was kind of like a hostage situation yeah. where there were two cops and they were completely surrounded by people. And they the people were trying to negotiate the cops way out and, and get them out without being harmed. It was something I'd never seen before. And uh, Jake Lane actually is not, he was the son of a former council member from a town in, in New, in New York. York. Um, so, you know, he's not exactly the salt of the earth. I don't know if I, you got to remember. Jake, and it's Jake Lang, not Jake Lane. I got his name and, wrong. And by city council, I don't know what Puston, New York is, but you got to keep in mind, just because you're the son of a city council member, I mean, some of these town councils, I think back to some of these places in the South, I mean, just uh, you could be maybe a son of a town council member in Perry, Florida, where we had right, right, right. that time. It doesn't necessarily mean you're big time. So I don't know. We I honestly just don't know enough about the guy's background to make conclusions on draw conclusions on who this cat is and what his agenda is. But I mean, obviously, just beyond what I mean, I don't have sympathy for these cats, like in terms of what their objectives are politically. But I think the larger issue, Matt and Max has pointed this out, is that. It's about how the national security state can can operate, um, who the who these people are, how they can can weaponize narratives, and then I don't know if we're going to get into it now, but just in general, um, just the issue of like of you know the the cashless society that this is kind of like leading us into, um, where that's going to be going in terms of tracking people's movements, in terms of being able to to, ma to maintain data, um, some, you know, caches on everybody, and and essentially. Uh, you know, just expand what we saw begin really with post 9-11 surveillance state with the uh, Patriot Act. And now that that seems mild in comparison to where we're going today. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just show one last clip yeah. from today that really kind of highlights how it, how comprehensive the Capitol Police presence was. Uh, they were all in riot gear. They were kind of standing down. But this was a show of force that we saw kind of. Yeah, at this the end. is. It was kind Just of hilarious. beyond absurd right here, what you're about to see. It looks like a show of force. Without, I think they, they were just the stretching. Doing a little stretch and stride action to show their bosses they you know, deserve the overtime they were collecting there. on the. Yeah, they needed something to do, but you know, you got the impression they were actually uh, going to they were going to arrest everyone when people were just sitting around. But they were ready to close in on the protesters at Grant Park in Chicago there in 68 or something. <laughs> but they're like, where are the protesters? You know, they're not there, right? There's There are at least 10 times more cops and demonstrators there at this point. And of course, the Capitol Police have just opened new offices. Here, I'm asking what it was. No one's answering. Capitol Police just opened two new offices in other cities. And uh, they've been given they a something. huge injection of funding <laughs> since January 6th. The U.S. Capitol Police. This is called the stretch and stride. I don't like it. It's like you do it before. Like football, you know, you have to get out there, stretch and stride a little bit. And the you ice cream truck annoys the shit out of me. Just, can you imagine working in that ice cream truck with that? Freak show. 
well to me the ice cream truck is sort of a a symbol of like this like american nostalgia that's like you know for a time it was like uh that that whole song you hear it in every single ice cream truck it's sort of like trying to hearken you back officer what what was that just sweeping for contraband sweeping for contraband of course because we're not in that like wholesome sandlot america anymore if you think back to the 93 movie with uh, james earl jones or or just having fun out in the neighborhood you know that people know a lot of the the hysteria we have is people long whether it's that whatever the nostalgia is for some mythical bygone time that doesn't exist anymore and people are feeling the sense of angst in their lives and they're searching for a past that um, they can hopefully resurrect it just oftentimes and we've seen this before in history just doesn't really exist yeah a lot of the a lot of the guys on january 6th you would see them dressed up as as patriots as Minutemen, as kind of like 1776 characters playing out this david mccullough narrative and you know (laughs) ousting the you know purifying the tree of liberty with bloodshed and you know it wound up completely blowing up in their faces i heard a lot of people including people on the left talk about it as uh, an insurrection that was all that almost succeeded with Donald Trump planning it with the generals yeah. and the mil is at the highest level, this act of high level treachery when it was much more buffoonish than that. And if you want to get conspiratorial, consider what we saw, which was when we got there, there was a similarly eerie feeling, but in the, the, the reverse of what we saw today, where it was 10 times more cops than people, yeah. then there were almost no cops when we got there. Right. Right. The people, everyone was given free reign and it was almost like they were allowed in yeah. to this political trap yeah. in order to set the stage for everything to come during the Biden era, which to me feels in many ways more fascist than the Trump era, uh, more securitized and, you know, new uh, policies of, and government uh powers are being granted that I never would have believed. So you had kind of this post-January 6th security era with walls going up all around the city, being layered atop the new normal of the pandemic. Um, And if you want to get conspiratorial, you would have to believe that the FBI and the Department of Justice, which was told at 1 p.m. on January 6th that the Capitol was being overrun and decided to do nothing, uh, had made a decision to allow that to happen. Not that I can prove that, but that's just kind of the most severe critique I can offer. I mean, it's just hard not to even like do at least ponder that when you think of like the kind of resources they have. And we were talking earlier today about the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, what is that? I mean, you have a an, an FBI, you have a DOD in this country, you have um, just a million different agencies that, that, that what they call the make up the intelligence community. I think you said is neither intelligent nor communal. Right. And it's like that, that's just sort of what we have. And yet we need also a department of Homeland security. And it's like, that is, um, and it also fits because like, look at the world we live in today. This is a world that has resurrected George W. Bush of all people think back to nine 11 and, um, just a few, I mean, I mean the nine 11 in 2021, that is, and this speech he gave that had like, Willie Geist and Starborough creaming in their pants, basically, and Mika Brzezinski. And I just bring them up, basically, because they sort of like are the bastions of like traditional liberalism, essentially, now in this country. And uh, kind of bring on the laundry list of people from the Atlantic and the New Yorker and uh, and that whole that whole world. And you what this has done, essentially, is like these people coming in there, Jan 6 and, and that that world, it is just like Russiagate did. It's it's divided the left in a way where 
you know, they, they don't know how to respond because you don't want to be seen as sympathizing with these cats, right? I mean, understandably so, but as a result, it kind of corners you then to where if you critique the national security state, then by default, the assumption is that you're somehow siding with like these, these, these fascist sympathizers. And then they can draw other conclusions, like such as like, if you go on, like I do like radio Sputnik every week, or you've gone on RT like max before then you're part of some red Brown Alliance. Right. So then these conclusions are easily then pushed out and, uh, and, and are not that, you know, it, it, you can, in the world of social media and being able to then just to kind of like, you know, uh, use uh, Twitter campaigns, especially, We've seen this before with like tweet storms will go out where they want to kind of push a message out. It's amazing how quickly some of these things can go viral. And it's clear that these are not organic type things when they want a certain message to get out. And if it's a, in, in the era of Russiagate, that's why it was so people didn't fully understand that, like what people were saying about why it was so dangerous while it was happening. It was so dangerous because of like what it was enabling. It was building on the legacy of the Patriot Act. It was building on the legacy of like the post 9-11 uh just just annihilation of like kind of like personal freedoms or in in uh in in you know uh ability to just speak your mind i mean like i i it was a chopo trap outside of the episode recently they were talking about like uh the way in the post 9-11 world people don't really fully appreciate how um how much just liberty whether it was for like what jokes comedians can make things you could just talk about was just ripped away and and, and what about songs you couldn't even play on the radio you know, you look at iHeartRadio controlling like in like just ridiculous songs. Oh, it's going to traumatize us because of 9-11. Right, you know, right, I mean, right. uh, well, actually, a lot of people who are younger don't remember that Clear Channel, which controls 90 percent or more of billboards in the country yeah. uh, at the time after 9-11 controlled most radio stations across the country. It was like before the Sinclair era. They they had a list of songs that could not be played on their station. Right. So it was effectively state censorship of hundreds of songs including you know that song by the beatles like i heard the news today oh boy as if that's going to provoke people to carry out acts of jihadist terror um or, or just cause people trauma to have to relive the trauma of that day of course we're never going to worry about the trauma that's inflicted on you know people in palestine every day people in, you know, living under in iraq every syria every day people living in yemen every day venezuela under the boot of u.s sanctions uh, the, the terror that, you know, the, the nine elevens that people experience around the world, like on, on the regular, because of like deliberate policy decisions, not like tragic, you know, terror attacks that like, or, you know, we, we just tend to put our hands up and kind of chalk up to unexplained evil, right. That just can't really be fully understood or comprehended. Just well, you just have to see the continuum domestically between the post nine 11 era and where we are today in what I call the new normal or the new normal era. And it's, and you know, the, the continuum flowed through Russia gate and then the January 6th freak yeah. out. Uh, and it, it leads to now hard, open, overt censorship on all of the social media channels, which is, brought me to Rockfin because I can't sail. I literally can't say a lot of this stuff that I've been saying on YouTube. I mean, and Jimmy Dore just did an interview with uh, Dr. Robert Malone about vaccines. Whatever you think about that is irrelevant. He had to go and actually check with YouTube if he was allowed to host that interview or if they would put a strike on his channel. So that's what, you know, major YouTube influencers are having to do. Um, and you know, this what we saw today was sort of a snapshot again of the security state. People, I mean, the, the security state has won here. Uh, everybody who is, I've been told, you know, 
by journalists who cover the far right. Every right wing organizer involved in January 6th has been visited by FBI at home. Reporters who cover them have been visited as well. Um, the FBI just shows up and starts asking questions. And if you don't know your rights, then they'll, you know, come in. So uh, here's a snapshot actually taken by a journalist named Ford Fisher of the security state today as well, where basically you have them handcuffing a guy because he had a weapon. They were looking for weapons. There were signs everywhere that said free speech zone. You know, you can have free speech in this particular zone uh, and no weapons are allowed, which is, and you know, the weapons part, you're not allowed to have, um, you're not allowed to open carry in DC. You're not allowed to conceal carry unless you really have a special license, which is hard to get. So they are enforcing the law there, but it was, this is a guy who had a weapon who turns out to just be the cops found the cop. So let's watch this. The cop, the, 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 the guy looks exactly like an under, you'd expect an undercover cop to look. The cops look like RoboCop. I mean, they're ready for like full on combat. They're hoping for that. And so is the media. I mean, four times more reporters than people. They're, they're looking for blood. Are you undercover? Are you undercover? He's denying it. So now he says he's undercover. What's your name? Wait. No. So he really is an undercover cop. Yes. Yeah. This is all a big production here. Don't drop my head. What's your name? Give me a time in this way. Give me a diamond this way. Got a mobile eye chair. Here we go. Give me a diamond. That's the commander. Your step, your step, your step. What's your name? Here we go. All right, so I mean, what, what, you know, they found, they finally found someone who wasn't a reporter there yeah. <laughs> and it was an undercover just, cop. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how bad they were searching to just do something, you know, it's like, this just wasn't anything to do. And yet those people are on there getting overtime, you know, just, I mean, it just shows you how much money just floats around DC. I mean, this is beyond even just the, the COVID stimulus money, which, uh, despite all the real human needs there are right now, the, the people that are, you know, that they're being evicted right now, that are that are be, it's being carried out with U.S. Marshal Services in different parts of the country that's not being covered by the media. Um, you have this stuff that, that, that's going on that's, that's, that's not anything. And instead, this money is just sitting there. And a lot of municipalities and, and, and state and local governments, like, honestly, don't even know what to do with all this. Like, they don't know how to disperse it. And it's crazy that we're supposed to have this, like, program to save people from facing eviction instead of canceling the rents we can't have that because that would create a crisis in the economy based on like the way the economy is structured um but well the yeah. the, the money to prevent evictions is just about paying landlords yeah. and, and all the stimulus can't even disperse it though because they're fearful in the past the government's dispersed money and then said that 
local governments haven't followed certain regulations and then they come back and actually charge those municipalities money back. So there's like, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but I'm just saying that there's a history because of the federal government having such a record of, you know, in for, uh, being so strict with like things in the past, there's fear amongst like, in, you know, small, mid, mid-sized, whatever municipalities that they're potentially going to have to, you know, come back. And that's why I think that's, there, there's a lot of fear in terms of like why, when you think of the reasons why this money hasn't been distributed to the people who need it. Because um, we keep hearing about this. Why is it that there's so much money that's been appropriated, but it's not gotten sent out the door? I don't, I can't explain it other than they're worried that somehow they're going to be blamed for some accounting error and then somehow it's going to come back on them. And then they're going to be like, suddenly you owe the feds all this money. And that, that's what I've heard from a number of like kind of just local you know, small, small potato officials that are kind of in charge. I mean, they're being questioned about this stuff. So, yeah, I'll give you my theory on that, but just to kind of wrap the discussion on uh, the just justice for January 6th, it's worth remembering the Capitol police got a huge injection of money as the Biden era began and AOC and members of the squad abstained after calling for defunding the police. So they yeah. really, and what Capitol police does in the area around the Capitol is enforce gentrification. Yeah. You see a lot of homeless people around there, a lot of poor people and the Capitol police are, are very uh, uh, notorious for cracking down hard on them. So the squad really fell down on the job there is because of the atmosphere that the squad, particularly AOC, helped create with this giant performance about how they were all going to be killed on January 6th. And now going into the midterm elections where the Democrats are expected to be clobbered, what they want is a bunch of ads scaring people about January 6th and then like Republican anti-maskers coughing on America or something like that. Yeah. So uh, the security state expanded, it's consolidated its control. Capitol Police are now a national... A law, they're sort of an, a national law enforcement entity with federal powers. They have an office, I think, in Las Vegas or Los Angeles, and um, that's all thanks to this. Max, before we go on, I make the point that just think of how different that is. The contrast from like I remember that that the the black dude we saw, Capitol Police officer, that was there in that tunnel, kind of like when they were getting ready to break it up, and like he was sitting there, literally holding his his his, his Glock. Kind of like in, in the fear in his eyes was like actually legit. I mean, he was vastly outnumbered. And to think like now we are what in September, nine months later, and the the purport the ratio of like who who was there that day, and he was basically left hung out the dry by them, right? They didn't I mean they they kind of almost would you know they 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 needed whoever that cop was ended up dying, whatever the reasons were, they almost needed them to kind of uphold to to be able to hold up as a martyr to push this narrative and to to you know to, to yeah, brian yeah. sicknick uh exactly. he died Jersey, he was, right? yeah, yeah he died and it's still kind of unexplained why he died he died of a stroke but we were told he was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher and he became kind of the martyr because the only other person who died and we saw her get carted out with blood pouring from her neck was ashley babbitt yeah. who you know i mean she was doing some extremely stupid shit when she was shot extremely stupid and reckless uh what was the theory i mean i remember we talked about this after that that there was some there was some school of thought and this is i'm not like i'm just literally throwing this out here i'm not saying like you know it's right what happened or wrong whatever it's just but i'm just saying that um there was a school of thought that the guy who shot her was like 
kind of the last line of defense in front of like McConnell being back there and it was Pence and uh and, and whoever else was back in I don't know yeah yeah that was the speaker's area so they it was said that Pence was back there and they yeah. were moving towards him and then I, and of course I have my piece I wrote my piece about John Sullivan who was really yeah. directing the mob and this was someone who was a what very a very insane sus- individual very I mean. suspicious character who wasn't left or right identified with Antifa his brother was a big part of MAGA in Utah and he was the one really egging the mob on and filming junkie yeah an adrenaline junkie uh by the way OTR trucker says the Greeks invented and the Romans perfected the quote-unquote art of hand-to-hand combat using groups of people by using blocks of troops formed into different geometric shapes diamond shapes are good for moving because you can change directions quickly and stay formed up so that's why he said give me a diamond we remember there were, we were we were told though the oath keepers formed a ranger formation and moved into the capital and that was like yeah. how, why we were supposed to believe that the military was secretly involved in the insurrection i mean it's just basic stuff that like <laughs> you know people do who do any form of combat any kind of training at yeah. all would know about that so on the on the point about the economy uh yeah. you know why the 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 landlords are not getting paid uh, from the stimulus money and the stimulus money really isn't reaching the public except at a very baseline level. Like there was the one disbursement of what were they? $1,400 checks, yeah. not $2,000 checks. You had the 1200 with Trump, right? Then you had the 600, the last one, then you had the, the big $1,400 check. that was like supposed to be promised as a $2,000 check, but instead the way he got around being accused of like lying was saying, well, you know, I meant, of course, the 600 that just went out plus the 1400 equals 2000. And that's no one ever said that when he was running. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, so 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 the money, basically the baseline amount went to pay the credit industry because everybody's in debt. So it went it goes it goes through the public like the public is just like this tube. The money then the money goes to everyone they they owe their money to and they don't get any extra money because as Larry Summers said, you remember he got attacked. He said, if you give the public two thousand dollars and all of these stimulus checks and and, and start paying off their college debt and giving the consumer actual buying power, you will overheat the economy. And from his perspective, the perspective of the global capitalist predator class, that was a correct point of view. That was a correct point. And it really supports the theory that was, has been offered by, um, there's a great video. Um, it's not on YouTube. It's on, um, Odyssey about the, uh, political economy of the pandemic. Uh, it's a a German, uh, reporter and economic analyst named Ernst Wolf giving a speech in Germany. And uh, there's also a great discussion on the political economy of COVID hosted by uh, my friend, Jared Ball, who we've had on Moderate Rebels uh, with an Italian Marxist philosopher and our our friend, Pierce Robinson, who's a uh, studies propaganda. And basically what they're saying is that the pandemic has provided an opportunity for the global, for global capitalism to preserve itself during a time of enormous crisis. You know, they've been going through quantitative easing, just printing cash endlessly. The Fed just prints cash. And in, how do you do that and avoid and avoid inflation? Well, you can't set interest rates at zero because if you do that, you're screwed. The, 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 you, you can't do that. So you have to prevent that money from the, getting too much of it to the public and suck, and you have to be able to access that. Maybe you can explain what, what, why, if it's set to zero, why are you screwed? Basically, I mean, just for people that might not, just in general. Well, because the value of the money you print, it, it's too valuable. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, 
it's in yeah the whole idea that this all goes back to i mean it's like you know it what enforces the value of the dollar i mean we know about the petrodollar like with saudi arabia we know about like the the way in which uh that's like i mean it's fiat currency but the point the point is but before we get into that the point is in the pandemic we've seen lockdowns or semi-lockdowns that have limited the public's buying power and weakened the economic power of the public three trillion dollars have gone uh, into the hands of the top 0.01%. And the public has lost, the regular people, Main Street has lost $3 trillion. Over 500 new billionaires have been been created out of the pandemic, many associated with the pharmaceutical industry. So basically what you have right now is this giant corporate bailout for the global capitalist class. And a lot of the policies behind the pandemic including uh, vaccine mandates support this theory because you know universal vaccination well then that means the ph- big pharma is getting massive amounts of cash infusions through medicaid uh and if they do boosters i mean they've said this themselves in 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 shareholder meetings pfizer and moderna have said with the boosters the public is going to actually actually have to pay at the pharmacy we can't charge them up front because it makes us look bad but they're gonna have to pay 30 to 50 bucks for a shot and then for us that's where the real money comes in. So well, your insurance too. I mean, so yeah, private insurance. So I mean, it, it also make the point too. We just talk about consolidation uh, and the t- t- the tendency towards mon- monopolization within capitalism. And it's interesting, like in my sort of you know domain here with uh, with sports, you see like just what's going on with the in, in college football with the consolidation of the biggest programs into this super conference with you know the Southeastern Conference adding University of Texas, which is a behemoth, you know, University of Oklahoma. And these are what happens, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, anything within this system, the way it functions on an inherent level is that, you know, the people at the top are able to, you know, create rules, put in schemes and ultimately kind of bring in and consolidate uh, the people that are the most profitable, you know, then kind of close the close the gates right to the to the hordes of everyone else and uh, create a sort of a exclusive class and of people that are on a whole nother level. And we see it even with like, you know, I college football, right? Just a fewer and fewer teams every year. You even begin the year with any prayer of competing for like a national championship. So there's like every sector of us society, um, the, 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 you know, being able to like, quote, rise to the top, these narratives of like, you know, going from rags to riches, which have always been absurd and like, you know, serve propaganda value are getting like even like more and more far fetched. Like the idea of like their social mobility is becoming more and more elusive. And uh, and it manifests itself in almost every aspect of our culture and economy um, from just business to to sport, to entertainment and um, into retail. And we see it just mergers and acquisitions. You know, what are what is that? Right. I mean, it's like this system can't just exist in a sustainable way where it's people are able to, like, make money, live a life, raise a family, kind of like go after live life goals, achieve what they things they want to do, live a meaningful life. It has to be the system has to continually find new markets to exploit new resources to exploit a new company to gobble up. You have to get bigger. You have to constantly be trying to devour something. Or else that's you're what, going to get devoured. And that's what BlackRock has done. Larry Fink and BlackRock have done during the pandemic where commercial real estate is collapsed. Small businesses have co- completely collapsed and then they all get snapped up. Uh, and we saw Amazon stock actually plunge or decline for the first time after the lockdowns became, uh, you know, went, went into the rearview mirror. 
because the lockdowns were providing enormous amounts of capital for Jeff Bezos and company. And uh, we should we should also talk about remote learning, uh, which is and 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 the role of 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 tech in education. That's a field that you work yeah. in. Let me. Uh, there's a comment from Shim. Uh, all high tech, we got a surplus labor problem, and that's another issue here with the pandemic, where uh, there is a surplus labor problem. There, it, there's a surplus humanity problem yeah. now because if tech, automation, robotics can replace humans, uh, the only solution that the fourth industrial revolution, these kind of World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab characters are proposing, is UBI, where people just get paid. A money, a certain sum that the government sets to be able to be alive and exist in their human warehouse, wherever right. it is. And then, you know, with the introduction of vaccine passports, you can see the basis being laid for a kind of digital passports and a social credit system in which people have to abide by various government mandates and rules in order to participate in society. I mean, you're looking at the construction of a neoliberal capitalist dictatorship right before our eyes, where more and more parts of the population are being pushed out of the economy. And either they will die or they'll go to jail, which is also profitable for the prison guards unions or private prison industry, uh, or they'll just perish like the homeless population. But they uh, are basically being more and more people are being pushed out of the economy right now. And I think, you know, at this point, it is absolutely deliberate. But let's talk about what you're seeing. You are a public school teacher in yeah. Jersey City. You have been for for years. It, it was really hard. It was a really hard fight for you to get tenure under Chris Christie. They're trying to there's been a war on the teachers unions. Uh, what are you seeing now in the schools now that uh, in-person learning has returned and you know does it feel more dystopian than before well yeah i mean I, i'll just just kind of preface it by saying that uh, i'm fortunate that you know i'm in a building with a, a good principal who i think uh, you know it's better than what a lot of people deal with but that doesn't change what's going on here on a macro level all right um and a lot of these things what's really unfortunate is that we're being like so many other employees talk about like ushers at like the Nats games, for instance, we were talking about you were going to, you know, baseball stadiums and how they're being like one of your neighbors, for instance, being forced to basically enforce all these policies. And in a weird way for some people that are working class, it might kind of, especially when your, your patrons are like wealthy white kind of fans, it might, that, that power dynamic might kind of be appealing in a momentary sense, but it's like, we're being turned into like police, right? And everyone's being deputized in this country. Like, for this is not about what you think about like vaccines. I mean, I've like, you know, I mean, I, it's not that it even matters, but I mean, I've, I've gotten it and I've, I'm a teacher and we're, we're actually have a mandate coming up in New Jersey. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when October 18th rolls around for the people who haven't gotten it because they are uh, going to essentially be have to like produce like up to two like negative tests a week. Um, I don't know how to turn around on that. Usually it's like a few, but. 36 to 48 hours so i mean i mean you're talking about every day yeah just like having to um kind of leave work probably go straight to your testing facility if they want to do that um you have people that so you have people just getting it now like not because like you know it's their choice or whatever they're getting it because out of fear i mean i, I saw that this last week um but it, it to me it's like it's not just about that it's not about that it's it's not it, that's the thing right now but it's about what this means in the sense of like the social credit system and what what it means in terms of you look at the ebay founder omar what, what's his last name yeah Piero yeah, Piero Midiar. Sorry, yeah, and like th they've been looking for years, along with Gate, Bill Gates, and others, to um, 
usher in a new system where you have everyone's data stored, the cashless society model, right? Where, and we, I, I think on a very micro level from a sports perspective, I've, I've a huge part of my life growing up and kind of, you know, I mean, gone to games, just kind of like being in the neighborhood, talking to guys that sort of like, you know, are, are you know, lumping proletarian basically, right? But they're like, you know, usually they'll look out and you can find they develop relationships with fans who come regularly, especially if it's a baseball stadium, they have like 81 home games a year and they'll be able to get guys with hand them tickets, whatever. That whole thing is being shut out. And not to mention just cash, like, you know, people that just operate in cash and don't aren't good with smartphones are going to be just locked out of the economy. Um, and, and, and like, the, and it's all going to be under the guise of protecting you from like identity theft. They're going to say they'll, they'll say that's a big thing. So be under the guise of, you know, obviously, obviously protecting your public health, but, you know, security, you know, making sure we have, a, you know, integrity in the financial system and all this, all this, all this stuff is going to be trotted out there. The reasons for why this is this great thing that every transaction we make let's not only just i mean look at just i just think of my smartphone i mean literally anytime i go anywhere i look and i get an email every month from google I probably should turn this off so if i, if I do if before i do anything still shady and trouble i'm definitely turning off changing my settings on the phone i don't plan to do anything crazy but nonetheless it's still insane that i get an email every month saying here is your timeline of like everywhere i've been right so you've been here you've been here like this is a place you can explore and it's like Okay, it seems like maybe innocuous, not a big deal. Like we just like think like, oh wow, it's kind of neat. I get like I can kind of re retrace, remember where I've gone, see get recommendations. What they're doing is they're they're essentially learning your social habits. They're learning what you like, what you don't like, and then every with this cashless society thing, it takes away every ability for you to uh, not have any freedom from being surveilled at all. And like the, with this cutoff of like the, the when you look at like stadiums now, you cannot ever use a paper ticket basically again. Like that's that's gone, and that's purely about you having to use a barcode. That then you have to pay a fee to what the stub hubs of the world, the ticket masters of the world. The same thing with concerts and stuff too. Um, so that then you're paying a toll to them instead of putting money back into that neighborhood where that stadium is, where there's people around there. You know, it used to be stadiums would be surrounded by like communities with houses and neighborhoods. Now parking garages, fences. I mean, look at FedEx Field in like Landover, Maryland. Right? It's like you can't even get near the place. Like, unless like the gates have been opened up, there's no like community around there. You can't like park in someone's yard or whatever and like throw some money. So it's like, they're doing everything they can to cut as many people out of the system that they can't control and have like officially like locked in, interlocked into their system. It's uh, and they're going to expand it. Like you said, to, to Africa, to, to South Asia, to the rest of the world. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, back to your question before, I mean, why can't they keep, interest rates so low i mean they're a rentier class they're, yeah. they're they don't produce anything when we talk about they the global predator class they don't yeah. produce anything uh they and, and so they basically rely on every all of us being in debt so uh you you were mentioning uh when we were talking earlier students have yeah, to, that, yeah. students have to actually pr produce a form if they go to the bathroom or they leave the well, yeah, they're, so they're, every, they're more surveilled than ever before. So with contact tracing now as a teacher, you talk about being deputized. You also being will, deputized as a private COVID police. Yeah, yeah. Because like basically if somebody if there becomes a, a positive test with a kid in your classroom, they go and look at your sign out sheet to the, to the hall. It's not just like a sign out sheet for the purpose of like tracking, you know, just making sure like some kids not going to the bathroom constantly. It's like for the purposes of contact tracing. And then like if you're not you know, having a, if you're not accounting for the movement of every kid, every single second of every life, like, you know, of every second of their lives in the building, then you are 
risking the public health of everybody. That's how it's portrayed, right? And it's like, and my point is like, so in a narrow sense, I guess like anyone could just say like, you know, gaslights, you kind of say like, oh, you're crazy if you even point that out. It's just we're trying to keep people safe and all and like and whatnot. But when you just look at the totality of this and even before COVID, um, you know, things like Google Classroom, I mean, before that you had things like Blackboard in college. You know, I mean, there's, I get that there's like, convenience wise, there's a need for, um, you know, having some kind of way of posting assignments and being up people being able not to haul a bunch of books home every day. But that's not what but you also have Microsoft Teams, right? A lot of school districts use them. Uh, so it's either Microsoft or Google, and they are completely controlling the educational experience. So because of the convenience of things like Google Drive, which admittedly, yeah, it's a lot nicer than having like the haul around floppy disk and flash drives everywhere. But that means where who has access to every document you ever create every essay you write in school every notes you take in a class every every you know document of notes you ever took in a class or just some ideas you have for whatever else you're thinking about that's all being stored there and what you know silicon valley with the the good people of google right and uh and that's their data as much as it's yours and that's the world where we live in now talk about the union situation uh you know how is it possible to do union organizing when the the, the union meetings aren't really in person, the teachers union meetings. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen the teachers oppose mandates, but Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, her wife, I believe, is in the Biden administration or about to be yeah. in the Biden administration. So she's kind of turning her back on she's doing whatever Biden wants. Um, but there are so many issues that the unions need to deal with. And you have to do everything on Zoom now. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, it's supposed to change here soon. But there's also just like, you know, you look on a local micro level. I mean, there's a shutdown of discourse around, you know, any debate regarding if it, whether it's debate or just people expressing their unease about, you know, the, the vaccine. This is essentially just regardless of how you feel about this stuff, um, you know, and um I certainly know people that feel passionately that people should, you know, uh, have to, you know, um, get, you know, have be vaccinated. And, and it's like, that's the way uh, to protect all our public health and whatnot. But it, we're not, you're not able to actually debate any of that. Right. It's just that you are either part of the vaccinated or you're, or you're not. And if you're not, then, you know, not only are you like, uh, you know, cut off, like in that kind of social credit system Max described, you're also, um, you know, you don't have the right to speak. And if you, because what, what the way it's portrayed is that the way it is that by you speaking, the person providing that platform or the, the, the forum providing that platform, be it a, a union, even a union members like Facebook group discussion, they are providing a platform for disinformation. Therefore, we have a responsibility to shut that down because with, with something so serious as life and death, like we can't risk being a propagator of disinformation. Therefore, debate shut down so where do those people go with those concerns they don't just dissipate right they go to more and more like marginal forums and then the same issues they talked about about like people feeling alienated marginalized uh you know not connected to anything um that's only gonna just like become worse and worse and um and and it, so we're, we're we're seeing that i mean a place like new york city there's people that are, are, aren't that they, they you know i know people even like support like they got vaccinated themselves and stuff but like but they don't they're not comfortable with mandates but at the same time there's a fear of saying anything about it because like the fact that you say anything about it you're immediately kind of like branded with that label of being one who's uh kind of in that that space of being a crazy sort of and uh and people are terrified of that so we're the self-censorship is real and it's it's everywhere um and within did you mention yeah that, uh, that a facebook group was shut down yeah 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 so like there's uh there was a facebook group shut down because of like uh 
fears that union yeah union facebook group where i am uh because of fear that it would uh lead to it would show division within our ranks therefore like you know when it comes to collective bargaining perspective we don't want to like show weakness or whatever or show that we're all like divided and you know it, it was it was shut down yeah. because people were arguing about man vaccine yeah, yeah yeah about the vaccine right exactly and, and so they just instead of allowing that to go on uh they just ended the group uh there used to be a place where you could share information about just stuff like even as basic as like when's uh when's the next like you know paycheck you know cycle gonna be posted right what what you know stuff about hr resources and like stuff about your you know healthcare policy and whatnot and and how to you know you know if you got to take medical leave and just you could just discuss things and get answers and people could kind of like share you know news articles whatever it may be so that's being shut down in the name of like uh not just protecting against disinformation but also trying to like maintain i guess the quorum amongst like you know, the rank and file i mean and that's obviously that's obviously not why it's being shut yeah, down that's no. just a justification of course yeah. i mean just because my own experience is that you are not allowed to prevent present an alternative to the prevailing narrative of the new normal and you get called an anti-vaxxer if you do but this is so personal for everyone and every look at what happened to Nicki minaj just now all she did was say i you know want to take my time and learn about it before i get vaccinated and the white house calls yeah. her joy reed gets carted out to uh say you're putting our community in danger and all these white liberals are telling her to shut up and then the reporters from the guardian go down to look for her family in trinidad and tobago yeah. and uh you know, it becomes this global incident. Uh, obviously, what she's saying is far more threatening than, you know, AOC's dress, which plays perfectly <laughs> into the right wing critique yeah. of what uh, champagne socialists are. But I mean, you know, and, and, and I support Nicki Minaj for, for defending bodily autonomy. It's something I thought liberals would have never had a problem with. But now everyone's so panicked. There's, and, and, you know, people are afraid of, of death. You're seeing death everywhere in the media. Uh, so they're afraid yeah. of it. You're hearing about full ICUs. Uh, I'd say my home state in Florida. I mean, it's something I struggle with because like, you can't, I mean, I hear from, you know, people like uh, family members of my of mine uh, and their, their relatives that actually work as like, you know, in the ICU or like, uh, and are, have been seeing this influx in Florida uh, of COVID patients. And it, so it's, it's real, but uh, I guess the questions are like uh, about, know how how many of these things i mean what what classifies something is like you know covid you look at the testing i mean someone like me we've heard about so many breakthrough cases i am vaccinated fully vaccinated but like what i'm not getting tested right so when this thing starts in october um what if i walk in there and i'm just like i'm positive for covid but i'm like asymptomatic and i'm just spreading it all week long whatever to like my students, my colleagues, right? But my colleagues who aren't vaccinated, they're gonna be identified immediately. And not to mention, look, talk about this issue of leave time because we haven't adopted contracts in any kind of collective bargaining sense to reflect this new reality of like COVID so that if you do test positive, it's not like you are taking sick days because like you got the flu or like you're taking, it's like you are mandated to be out for like, you know, 10 days or whatever it is now. And then that's coming out of your sick day bank. These are things that used to accumulate. And then when you retired, you like cash out the number of days you've accumulated that have accumulated over those years. You get paid out for the ones you haven't used. It's like a retirement parachute. That's going to be like obliterated for most people, even if they're like a close contact, you know, tangent, you know, tangential, like close contact. And it's not even direct. They're going to err on the side of caution. 
People are going to be obliterating sick days. Um, and then insurance companies are going to make a killing selling these policies like medical leave policies now, which they've already pushed before this. Um, they're going to get more expensive and people are going to feel the need to buy that product. Right. Um, so another er you know, area for insurance to, to make bank. Um, and we've seen for years within like education, like the whole like light, you know, annuity people coming into like you know, schools and hanging out in the teachers' lounge and selling these things. We saw what happened in 2008 in New Jersey. You know, you know well Christine Todd Whitman, the scheme she was like you know doing with in terms of the state pension fund and the way that just obliterated people's retirements that had like worked their whole lives in like public education, the public sector in New Jersey. And uh, I mean that's 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 exactly what like. The, the, the people in charge now they believe in that kind of stuff you know the, I, the omnipotence of the free market so therefore if you fail because the free market that's your fault you know we're gonna like be again we're gonna be pro lgbtq rights we'll be anti-racism you know against racism and all but we have no sympathy for you if you can't make it in the marketplace of like of, of what we have here in neoliberalism because we all, we all play by the same rules a rules-based order you always hear the meritocracy so if you're poor you should have worked harder you know like don't bother me i'm i'm in my own headspace being successful living it up enjoying my my you know my amenities where i live now because i earned it and you haven't so don't don't make me feel bad right and it's just a toxic like way of looking at things and that's really where our society is but it's breaking apart at the seams that's a that's a really a good analysis of the PCR test I haven't heard. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, if you're if you are fully vaccinated, even the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, said that you can still spread the virus. It doesn't stop viral transmission. It prevents, uh, in some cases, in many cases, severe illness and death. So uh, why shouldn't they be tested? And then what is the PCR test? How effective is it really? And can it be? set at uh, positive COVID and then lowered to levels. The, apparently the PCR test was developed in like the course of two days. And it's very suspicious what's going on on college campuses. For example, Duke University, uh, 98, 99% of uh, students have taken the jab. Uh, they had an outbreak, 400 students, about 380 testing positive, only eight were quote unquote unvaccinated or well, not quote unquote, just were unvaccinated. Yeah. Uh, but many of these cases or most of them are asymptomatic. Uh, can you spread it in asymptomatic fashion? What, and then the, the school is put under this kind of lockdown. Same thing happened at Brown University. All of, uh, Yale, I saw a student from Yale University on Twitter complaining, well, we're all vaccinated now. Why do these new restrictions keep coming in? Well, here's another problem, too, is that we have the, 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 the neoliberal education system of higher ed. They're always trying to deflect blame, of course, from themselves and responsibility for themselves and just put it all like so even if like, uh, you know, you have. You know, the universities created the the the, the you know the situation the, the, the conditions they're the ones that uh they, they make the rules and whatnot but yet then they'll instead of themselves like the ones who make policy being the the, the you know the ones who take any responsibility it's like blaming young people for partying like what do you i mean the idea it's just like hilarious to me you're talking about adults who act surprised that like 18 to 22 year olds are going to party i mean it's like as a way of like Let's just get all, I mean, regardless of what the morality, even if you think that's like outrageously irresponsible, right? Um, that notion that we're making policy based on just like demanding that 18, 22 year olds behave better 
and it like we'll just wag our finger more loudly and we'll just do it louder and it like until eventually they just like grow up or something instead of it being like the people that are actually in charge and have real power being responsible and like for the, the, the effects of the decisions they put in place, whichever those decisions are. Well, I mean, you can extrapolate out of that just the whole narrative of what, what uh, the Biden administration is propagating, which is that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and that as the public health care system collapses, we blame a sector of the working class or, or, or just a sector of the American public that has not complied with the order to get vaccinated instead of blaming the governors and the system that has been cutting ICU beds, cutting uh, public health spending. I mean, and particularly in the red states, but Andrew Cuomo cut yeah. so many beds, emergency ward beds and hospital beds under his watch. I mean, they called him governor 1% for a good reason. And so they're not taking the blame. I mean, and if this was in an enemy state where the public health care system was in a condition like mm -hmm. this, we would say it's the fault of dictatorial mismanagement yeah. by the regime. But here we say it's the fault of uh, the bad Americans who are dirty and unclean. And is there and, and, and there isn't necessarily any science to support that, although, yes, there may be more deaths in the unvaccinated. Yeah, but make a point. I think this is really important is that. Look, let's just for argument's sake say you're someone who feels passionately that everyone should get vaccinated, right? And that like that's the, the path you should go. Now, if that's your objective, what a worse way to try to achieve that than have a system where masses of people like do not access the healthcare system because fundamentally they know if they get in a hot, if they get in an ambulance because they need care, if there is an emergency, they get a twenty, thirty thousand dollar bill later. They, they they go and receive care. What happens? They go to the ER. Like, boom, crushed with the bill from the hospital later. The fact that we have a for-profit healthcare system is the source of so much mistrust in this healthcare system and rightful mistrust. So the irony of these people, like, just waxing on about how, like, how dare these people not, like, have faith in the system? Like, are they not the ones that have guaranteed that people shouldn't have faith in the system by virtue of the fact that we have a, a, a predatory for-profit healthcare system that by its design excludes all these people? How are they going to trust the system by design? So my point is, even if you fully believe that everyone should get vaccinated, it's irresponsible. If you, if you actually think like that, you think that you would be out there fighting for Medicare for all, then you'd be fighting for a national health system. But the, the Democrats, they're not even doing that. Of course, they're not doing that because... You know, you look at the way it's the donor class is structured. You look at the way, you know, that that whole operation, it, you know, the, 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 the gears are greased. And it's just, uh, you know, the money that comes out of that industry in the hospitals, especially are profound. The, 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 the alliance basically between big insurance and the hospitals that collude to create this dynamic and then punch downward in all of our discourse. I'm talking like pre-COVID, too. Like, I mean, I think of it was what transformed me before I even like met Max is like the time after I had a devastating college football injury and I was coaching inner city high school football in Jacksonville, Florida, my hometown and number of kids I coached. I, I loved dearly. Like, you know, uh, at that time, it was a tough time in my life, my early twenties and uh, kind of my dreams that, you know, crushed for that injury. But they, I realized like how many they're, they're, you know, like Lonzo's mom was like, you know, wasn't around. Well, how like, Whoa, because, leukemia and then you know Keith's mom had died of cancer and didn't really know about it right before she died and hearing from there just story after story of people and it's like is it just as simple as like oh they don't trust that they got they're all conspiratorial you know and they believe in all these like crazy no it's like 
they they go to when you go to the hospital, you go to the doctor over and over, and you're basically like you're demeaned to, to just by even if they're not degrading you by what they're saying to you, the process of it is degrading. You're not like you're a burden, like you're portrayed as a burden on the system. And then not to mention the billing that like just for basically receiving care, you might not even know what's coming at you. And then you're, you know, boom, there you are with that. Like, you know, around there's the albatross around you. So why should people trust this system if that is their interaction with it and their experience with it? That's the question that is still central and gets lost in a lot of this now that still needs to be attacked. Like, you know, regardless of COVID, like that's the fundamental issue. And these people just talking about public health, the irony of them fundamentally believing healthcare is not a human right. They say that all they want to say, they don't believe that because if you don't have single payer, you're, you're not, you're not being serious about it. You know. Well, one of the libertarian talking points I'm hearing now is that, you know, would you trust these people, Fauci and Walensky and these public health officials who are just so flagrantly lying and even Bra Fauci boasts about lying and the way the, the approach they're yeah. taking is so inhumane and unethical to public health right now. Would you trust them with a government health care program? And libertarians are getting traction with that talking point. I, I, I would not trust these people. And, and, you know, what what are they anyway? They're so in so many ways. They're plugged into big pharma, uh, the CDC foundation. Just go take a look at the CDC foundation and who supports it. It's a who's who of big pharma corporate and, and, and big pharma and government contractors involved in the surveillance industry. Uh, the CDC but, got a billion dollars. Private health insurance is no let more trustworthy than like whatever any kind of government health care model. I mean, no, I mean, that's that would be involved in it. I mean, but who is no, currently yeah, involved in, yeah. and you know, we have excess deaths every year they and ration care all the time. The notion of oh, socialized medicine rations care. I mean, I can tell you personally, someone with pre-existing conditions and uh, back issues and whatnot, that they hate the fact that I have a healthcare policy through my employer in a group-based plan, so they can't just boot me. In fact, it's a lot of it's a big reason why, even if I wanted to, like someone like yourself, myself, or anyone else with pre-existing conditions, you almost have to find a way to stay within like a profession where you have that group-based coverage. Otherwise, you're someone who's just not going to get healthcare other than paying insane rates that um, you just have to have an insane amount of money uh, if you actually want to go off and do something on your own, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Andrew Fornaro says the exemption of legal liability for Pfizer exposes the scam. I think it definitely, yeah. uh, it definitely raises a lot of questions. It was all rammed through on an emergency basis. And I think that, and many people are very aware of this legal liability. And so that, causes them to be resistant uh they want to wait and see it's not it's just a very un, it's a state of exception it's a very unusual situation for a lot of people and now they're blamed for trying to examine the situation when they're not necessary when they're not really in risk groups um and, and 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 you know the people that i have typically seen as the critics of big pharma who come from the left who come from these socialist circles now they're kind of like useful idiots for it. And they are not necessarily calling for expanding medical care. You see them cheerleading. I've seen Intercept reporters cheerleading for people being fired because they won't go along with the mandate. I've seen them dox people who say, well, early treatments, uh, what's her name? Fiorella Isabel 
called said uh, my family in Peru used ivermectin because there weren't vaccines and they had good results with that. And so she got doxxed and her DUI came up from an intercept reporter as if that has anything to do with anything. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, I've seen Noam Chomsky call for putting essentially putting the unvaccinated in camps. Uh, he called for medically isolating them. And then I saw a lot of the people who hang around that DSA crowd, actually, several of them actually endorse what Chomsky said when I tweeted it out. And so here, instead of them making the argument that they typically would have made in the past, yeah. they're going after people who are within left circles who, who, who are challenging them. And you can just see the, fr the, 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 the fragmentation taking place in particularly in the Biden era this year and how it's breaking apart movements, which will be under unprecedented surveillance in the new normal. Uh, and that's the point. I mean, that's the point. I saw a video of a hostess at a restaurant being beaten by three women because she asked for their vaccine passport in New York and the women became outraged. Yeah, and like uh, they were and they legal were, liability to ask. And there was a racial law, there, you know, there was like, a racial yeah. dimension. It was a white woman. And these were three black women. Uh, so they feel like they're being kept away from the lunch counter. There's video of your friend, your friend Clay Travis is having a, okay. a yeah. field day with this stuff, showing a black family being kicked out of a restaurant. That's what I hate the most is it allows people like him now to like look like they're being rational and reasonable. No, and the, and that they're and that they're racially woke, like it's Fox just, News. Know, the same guy that's sitting there complaining and making a huge deal that he couldn't buy a free Hong Kong NBA jersey. Oh my, why can't buy a free Palestine one, right? So, I mean, it's just like unfreaking real, man. Like this, this dude has like had the worst takes when it comes to like race, when it comes to like everything imaginable in American society. I mean, he actually believes like that, you know, that that essentially the U.S. is just like ab the unmitigated like bastion of like freedom and democracy in the world. Like no, no like irony at all. Like and that like essentially we have to go and like he, he's a, he's a firm like imperialist he's a firm believer in just like uh, exporting american exceptionalism and it like that's what is going to make the world better and therefore like you know supporting and promoting you know astroturf like campaigns like free hong kong and stuff that uh are going to that, 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 you know align with national security state interests also like you know piling on cuba is like the worst dictatorship in the world and stuff and and of course not saying the same things here at home uh, that are just, you know, our debates are just like, you know, democracy being messy. Clay Travis stuff. was like yeah. very close to Trump and he was sort of yeah. his sports influencer go to sports. And now with OutKick, he brought in Jason Whitlock for a while. They had a falling out and whatnot. But uh, but it, but because of like just to go back there, like to like being a teacher and stuff. And I think like when you look at the like what happened in that example you brought up about the restaurant, you know, having to constantly like legally basically like chastise mostly like you know black students and stuff like put your mask on and, and not just like in, in they, they put you put in the position of being the covid police yeah. and you are now in a surveillance right. security job that you never signed up for same with that lady at the front of the restaurant and, and i want to emphasize it's like most kids aren't even like i mean they, most of them do keep their mask on actually it's not really like that that per me per se personally but um, it just the principle of like, you know, essentially, like I said, deputizing people and adding these job responsibilities onto your job without there being added pay. And then also without there being any adjustment of the sick leave policy, you know, for people that have to then like go into forced quarantine. I mean, this is a, a major thing. We're going to have the new racism like we were talking about, it, I think, yesterday about, you know, basically it being 
okay and polite society that sort of just and, and without even people knowing whether people are vaccinated or not but making assumptions that like people from a certain class of you know you know basically the hood right and it like and, and from a certain class of black people that are they're unvaccinated so i'm not racist because i want to like exclude them like it's because i'm public health conscious therefore i'm good therefore you know it, it you know, just miss rolling their eyes when anyone brings up that like this is racism you know because to them they'll say it's not it gives it gives people who already have those views like uh uh, an out that seems legitimate in their eyes. Right. 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 And, and, and the right, they can read the tea leaves. I mean, Clay Travis, totally cynical character. And he sees that a uh, disproportionate percentage of black Americans are resisting the vaccine mandates. Uh, the right typically, you know, doesn't have the support of black Americans. And so they're exploiting this as another issue. And Trump was the master of kind of numbers trying to get two percent more of the black vote two percent more of the latino vote mm -hmm. and succeeding there yeah. uh, and the democrats they just want to take them for granted they bring out these tools like joy reed and michael eric dyson to lecture Nicki minaj but they're not getting at the heart of the issue which is that for a good reason black people don't trust the government and they are going to resist forcing them to take a medical intervention that is experimental and like the Democrats just can't seem to accept this, but they don't want to say it out loud because they don't. That's the fear of Nicki Minaj is the fear of an actual open conflict with influential people in black America that would winnow out their base. And I think like, you know, about the Democrats condemning Republican voter IDs everywhere correctly. Like, yes, it's voter suppression. It's anti-democratic. But. I mean, wouldn't it be logical if they're going to have passports at restaurants and bars to have them at voting centers, which would be another ID that would be discriminatory? Yeah, you're making the idea of like having to have an ID all the time to exist, right? Uh, normalized. I mean, that's like uh, the, the idea that like you, I mean, the whole argument, right, in terms of voting, and I, I agree with it, that like you have people that, you know, that get access in the DMV isn't always something, you know, everyone can do. And then like, yeah, not everyone drives. And then, you know, to putting up more barriers to voting, it's also dealing with a problem that doesn't really exist by and large. I mean, the issue of voting fraud has for years been, this, is, this goes back like historically too. I mean, you have like, you look back in like 19th century American claims of, you know, uh, mass voter fraud being used to like, you know, push other camp, you know, candidates forward. And, and it usually, it's always about using the, the threat of somehow like there being a, a um, uh, some sort of you know, mischievous, some sort of mischievous, you know, nefarious actions going on on someone's behalf, but in saying that's the reason, right? But the real reason is like you want to shrink the the pool because you you're you, the position maybe you're running on is not one that has popular support. Therefore, you need to make sure you you shrink that pool of potential opposition as you know as much as possible. And who are the people that are going to be impacted by that? Not the middle class and upper class voters who already support your positions that, uh, you know, benefit you know, the people who from that class that you're from. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I, I know we wanted to talk about a lot of other issues, but we're coming up on yeah. hour and 15 minutes. Um, you know, talk about, uh, what, you know, you are doing on a daily basis at red spin sports and why, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to be focusing on in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it, it is fascinating. Now we we've talked a lot about the you know, the plantation nature of like the the NCAA. Um, I think it's really fascinating that you look at this name, image, and likeness stuff that was uh you know this now the Supreme Court ruled and back in June with Brett Kavanaugh writing the the you know the majority opinion for a nine zero opinion, which is amazing given that the NCAA stopped. The fact that this was even illegal when you really look back on it now for as long as it was under the guise of amateurism, the guise of promoting something for like the good of like the university team spirit, the idea that somehow division one collegiate athletics, especially football, men's basketball, that are the, the profit cash cows, um, that you are just playing for the love of your university. You are receiving a free education you're receiving compensation in the form of like, you know, housing or whatever. But let's be real. Like you can't really take classes after like, you know, noon or one o'clock because you have to go get ready for practice, get treatment, get ready to go to meetings. Therefore, what if you want to major in something, right? You're quote unquote getting a free education, right? But the classes for it, a course for it is like four o'clock in the afternoon. You'll never be able to take that. What if there's a semester that like, you know, you could go study abroad somewhere that's really critical for something you want to do in your life not a chance because like now that you can't take that off. And then first of all, in this day and age now where you can bring in people to replace you, it's a you know, year to year deal. They've opened up transfers, which is a good thing because now you have, you know, athletes with the ability to, to, to go places where they have our opportunity. But it also means that coaches are able to, um, you know, normalize the idea of just like just running people off. But with the name, image and likeness, what it does too, is it, it really is a, uh, it really uh, kills the ability and it's put, it's destroyed the momentum that was there for unionizing college sports, right. And creating a, like a labor movement model where, you know, you're struggling along class lines, right. And you're, it's not so much about, and it's about empowering the athletes to try to get a, as much of a piece of the pie as possible. Um, So like the idea would be in that like you're going to push and try to like, you know build collective power through like a union based struggle. Uh, but what I think Kavanaugh and people realizing that like this was a struggle, the NCAA was like has been getting hammered on for years now and it's gone so mainstream. We have to get in front of this. And now many of the people that like were you know advocates of like unionization for, for college athletes are really kind of just like a lot of them have been silent and it's more like even or even gone into consulting around making them like endorsement deals. I mean, you got the Alabama quarterback Bryce Young out of Matter Day High School in, in Orange County High School. There used to be a pipeline to USC, USC Trojans. Um, and now you have him already like, you know, over a million dollars endorsement deals are good for him. Like, you know, like he did this. The fact that, like I said, that's been illegal for this long because whereas coaches are doing all sorts of endorsements you see all over the place. What, Basically, just to kind of bring it home, you're talking about the NCAA, which is, I, I don't know how much it's worth as a corporation, but it's B billions. I mean, billions, yeah, billions and billions. And it's kind of like a de, de facto slavery for the players on yeah. so many in so many ways. They're not able to reap the benefit they were they are reaping certain benefits, but yeah. they're not, they're not able to, re to reap financial benefits. And then you know, many of them are just sent off. Right. And now that like this name, image and likeness stuff has been legalized by the Supreme Court. Let's not forget that it was the NCAA fighting in court against the former West Virginia Mountaineer running back, um, Sean Austin, to try to prevent that from becoming law. To try to even in 2021 say that we're, we're not even talking about whether they're going to be paid for their work. We're talking about whether they have the ability to like have their 
name or having their image on a poster for maybe a nightclub doing a party or something for a car dealership who just wants to like sign a deal to have them promote some, you know, you know, do a commercial, right? That that is being shut off too. So you talk about when people like some people cringe when they hear the analogies of slavery and stuff, but what they don't understand is it's not just about like whether it, it compares exactly to like 19th century chattel slavery. It's about who has the power over the work you do and who like is able to, you know, benefit from that. Right. And in the system that's set up there, it's these universities and athletic departments think of like the deep South, like where I grew up, you have huge big money boosters the biggest industries in a state like alabama for instance or a state like florida or georgia that are like the biggest boosters and that's ability for them to project their soft power through football through like that program to get visibility and then to like be able to be seen as a philanthropist and all this so they're basically able to they might be involved in an extractive enterprise that's polluting and trapped it's maybe profiting off of like you know taking you know, human waste from Staten Island and North Jersey or New York City and dumping it in a huge landfill in the middle of Alabama and making it hell for the people who live in that town. But they can then present themselves as a philanthropist that are helping young student athletes prosper by making like donations off of the profits they're bringing in from banking trash into the earth and like poor like Alabama counties. So, you know, these that's just one example, but it's about power and who has it, who benefits from it and who's working to create the value of that spectacle that would not exist without like the players that play the games. And that's a good microcosm for understanding how power works yeah. writ large in the United States. We got one final question uh, on uh, the teachers unions before we go. And then, you know what you heard Nathaniel talking about, these are the kind of discussions that are had at red spin sports uh, where can people yeah. find Red Spin Sports? Yeah, so like we're at Red Spin Sports on Twitter. Uh, we're getting ready to kick off like this time of week, like the first fall live stream. Kind of took a break in August a little bit, and um, but uh, I did a, a recent episode with uh, a former teammate of mine at Florida State, my brother, a former uh, Division One college player, a couple of guys been in the NFL, and talked about kind of experiences the game and whatnot. But we also have gone back. I've had interviews with like, you know, John Dolan, AKA Gary Brecher, the Warner about like sport and how that it, where it fits within. So where can they find you at red spin sports? Uh, you can, uh, that's uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Nate um, six, number six Wallace on Twitter. Um, and yeah, we'll be on, uh, just stay tuned. Like I'll post, it like, probably be Thursday night next week. And then we got, you know, we'll have episodes coming out all throughout this fall. So, um, yeah, check it out on our YouTube channel too. Primarily, um, you can also go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, the whole nine yards. And you can catch me every Friday on uh, By Any Means Necessary on uh, Radio Sputnik. Cool. So Soviet radio. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, just last question. We'll try to knock this out really quick. Someone asked, what do we think of the world socialist websites, critiques of the teachers unions? And I'll throw this one up on screen. I mean, I have a funny anecdote, man. They, okay. They, they, okay. They, we'll we'll ahead, wait for ahead, it. You know, so basically this is one of their many pieces, uh, hammering the teachers unions for pushing the reopening of schools. Uh, and basically they're saying, you know, there's a lot of cases, so they're not talking about death, but they're just saying there's a lot of cases. Um, and they're mad about a lack of remote learning. Uh, and they say, you know, the, the, um, the, the, they're, they're, they're blaming American Federation of teachers and saying that, uh, the, the high school teacher, they quote anonymously. We've already had two of my colleagues test positive. We're expecting this after the students came back, but not before. So we're hearing a lot about positive tests. We're not hearing much about 
depths in this article, but let me just, you know, give my opinion. I'll pass it on to Nathaniel and then we'll, we'll close it out. Okay. The Delta, you know, the Delta variant has really exposed how so many of the mechanisms that have been put in place have done absolutely nothing. Uh, if you're just talking purely in terms of cases, we're going to continue to see more and more cases because the vaccinations wane in efficacy and do not prevent transmission. And the PCR tests can detect cases. They can just continually detect cases. So you're going to have cases. You're dealing with a population in schools up to high school that has almost no death rate, like a, 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 a practically a 0% death rate from COVID, except for those young people who have comorbidities. Mm -hmm. uh, the teachers are almost all vaccinated. And so you, th those are the facts. So this could continue endlessly, which means that according to the World Socialist website, as long as there's cases, schools have to remain closed. Right. And as long as schools remain closed, who benefits from that? It's so funny to see so many of these socialists and pseudo-socialists refuse to accept that there is a capitalist class that has benefited handsomely from what's taking place and that it has been an orgasmic wet dream, a long-standing wet dream of Bill Gates to wipe out the teachers' unions and to institute remote learning because what is he but the longtime captain of Microsoft, which is you know, at the forefront of pushing remote learning. They would love to end in-person learning or limit in-person learning severely. And what that does to children's development, uh, especially children who already have no structure in their lives, the only, they have nowhere to hide. Uh, maybe they are at an abusive home. So many students, their only lunch they get is at school. Uh, they want The World Socialist website wants to just throw them out into the wilderness and provide them with no structure uh, because of an airborne respiratory virus that doesn't actually threaten to kill them because there's cases, because the PCR test says they're cases. So this is discrediting to me. Uh, and they're going out and they always attack the unions at that yeah. website. And I don't know what the hell organizing they do, but anyway, go, go on, go off. Yo, it's, it, I like, this is the, these are the same people that in 2018 when we had a strike and like I wasn't happy about it but like it was it was, ended up there was a the union leadership came to an agreement and like uh, and uh and we were going back in they were outside like hollering at like high school kids like ninth graders basically coming in and like yelling at them about not being radical enough or like why they're not like you know like starting a revolution or something and like kids were like well what what is this and like they basically say like that. Yeah, when you mentioned like what are those kids that like deal with abusive household situations, like extreme poverty at home, don't have stability. Yeah, go home and like go out and start the revolution or F you basically. Like that's their viewpoint. This is the Trotskyite bullshit that like the idea that like if you're not willing to like go and just just like forsake your life and like willing to throw yourself out in the street and just get your ass beat right and try to like bring the revolution all at once and this is a very eurocentric notion because it's all predicated on the idea that like in order to create some global revolution simultaneously it's like how are you going to do that well that, that entails like everybody having to speak the same language which let's be real it's going to be english if in their minds if that happens and it's like it, it's just totally ahistorical it doesn't fit within any understanding of how any like actual successful revolutions have transformed any societies in the world. It's idealistic. It's like utopian. And it's the idea that, of course, yeah, because of the flaws of the teachers union, I can go on for an hour just talking about things that I don't like about 
teachers unions and decisions that we've made internally that like, you know, things that we should do differently. But there's a difference in having those critiques versus like almost gleefully enjoying just like tearing them down. And as Max just said, who benefits from that? Bill Gates benefits from that. Google benefits from that. The, the titans of big tech benefit from that. So the World Socialist website wants to sit out here with the most woke like policy suggestions, not even policy suggestions, suggestions for everyone else just to go commit like suicide basically and running out into the streets for like some unorganized revolution. It's not like that. They're not really articulating. Let's just all rebel like at once in a non-structured way when you don't really have the mass support and mass level education that's going to be required for people to understand what's happening and how that would be sustained and then transformed into a better way of life for people, a better way of life that's going to like enhance the day-to-day -day life. There's a self-sacrificial fetishizing that goes on here about like how like just it's a martyr complex too. The only revolutions they actually like romanticize are ones that failed and people that are dead. And it's like any kind of living example of people trying to transform things, it's never good enough. So like, you know, the idea of like, again, about staying at home, like, you know, I did that all last year. Right. I mean, and, uh, you know, and I, and I get it. And like, there's people in Florida that would say like they should have taken it more seriously and done that for longer. And there's, I, I can go back and forth all day long. And just, I've heard every argument on both sides. You can imagine with that, but the, just the, 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 just the irony there, just like this website, just like you're sitting there from whatever, like little Twitter, you know, like, you know, type keyboard, they're sitting, hanging at, you know, they're not actually in a workplace. They're not having to go talk to their colleagues. They're work, you have families that have people with disabilities they got to take care of and whatnot. And they're just sitting there saying that if they don't like rise up and they don't demand to shut everything down, they don't care at all about kids that like are struggling dirt poor unless those kids are going to help them bring about some revolution. They think they are responsible for helping to usher in themselves. They don't care about them being stuck at home, being just like having no stimulation having like lack of access to those meals because to them they're being complicit in just like maintaining that their lives are worthless. They're just being, they're just wretched oppressed people during capitalism and their lives don't have any value because like this system, the only value they could have is helping to overthrow the system. Right. And how are you going to inspire people to want to join a revolutionary cause to change anything when your mission to them is your life sucks, like inherently basically and the only value it can really have is in you like rising up to come, just basically listen to what we're saying, right? About how messed up it is. We know it's messed up. They people that are living that reality understand deeply how messed up it is, right? But there's it's it's not that simple, man. And like, and it's like I just I, I'm I'm you know if I'm venting it and you know I am venting because it's like that it triggers me. <laughs> like I'll be honest, it's like seeing that it's uh it's outrageous and uh yeah, those people need to be called out and it's uh it's about time. And uh, they are Trotskyists, so there's that um well th thank you for that rant nathaniel the final rant of the night uh thanks for joining me uh i always learn a lot from your podcast and so it's good to have you over here and uh i don't know i hope to have more interesting guests next week that increasingly this this show is becoming a place where i can host people to talk about and have conversations that often can't be had in the new normal on YouTube. Um, it didn't necessarily start out that way, but it's, 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 it's taking on a life of its own. And, you know, I did a live stream last week uh, from a highly unusual anti-war rally. Um, 
that you know was considered controversial because it brought together people of different political stripes for one cause, which was anti-imperialism. Um, and you know, so that was I'll be I'll be live streaming more here. But anyway, thanks everyone for joining me. It was really last second, but I think it went really well. And uh, check out Red Spin Sports. Peace. <laughs>